G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. We'll talk about some of the consequences of lacking vigilance on this issue of religious freedom. So while we're contemplating developments that may come before our Parliament this week as they deliberate about religious freedom in Australia, the bigger world that we live in suffers increasingly extreme persecution of Christians. Well, on this program, we like to bring the good stories and the bad ones But it's the bad stories of how Christians are being persecuted that do seem to outweigh the good stories. Well, the focus today on the consequences of not having vigilance on this issue of religious freedom and always a pleasure to welcome to the studio Ashley Saunders, who these days is the CEO of Barnabas Fund in Australia. And he's on the tail of a 17-day freedom tour of Australia. So, Ashley Saunders, a special welcome along to 2020. Thank you, Neil. It's great to be with you again. Ashley, it's been pretty gruelling, as I understand it, your 17-day tour. Give us a little insight into places you visited over these past two and a half weeks. Well, I've visited uh, Western Australia and uh, Victoria mostly, and then in the period just before that, also uh, South Australia, so that over the course of June, I had the uh, privilege of speaking with people in four different states, and uh, I got home on um, Saturday night, I think it was, and today's Monday, so I haven't lost track of time totally. (laughs) Yes, and of course, uh, people in those places that you visited, uh, they know you because of your days at the helm of Family Voice Australia, a wonderful organisation. You've had that transition into a role now where you're the national CEO of Barnabas Fund in Australia. Uh, Give us a little insight as we get our conversation underway for those listeners not quite so familiar with Barnabas Fund. Well, Barnabas Fund is uh, a Christian aid organisation with a unique difference in the sense that uh, we provide aid and practical assistance and uh, spiritual uh, assistance to Christians where they are disadvantaged or persecuted. And so we're motivated by the second part of Galatians 6 and verse 10, the first part of which Paul says, "Do as we have opportunity, do good to all people. And then he says, but especially to those who are of the family of believers. And so the special calling on our ministry uh, is uh, to work uh, to support Christians in areas of disadvantage or worse. And interestingly, when you bring that dimension of Barnabas Fund, where you say you're interested in those legal issues, and I know that you have a legal background, uh, you have a political background, so this idea of being an advocate for someone who is a persecuted Christian believer, this is really at the heart of where your gifting lies as well. Well, I believe it is, and let me say it really is a privilege to speak on behalf of our brothers and sisters who don't have a voice, those who suffer for their faith, those who feel so alone, and to let them know that there are people in Australia and other countries who are praying for them, who are opening our hearts to them, who are giving financially that they might be assisted, is a real mechanism of support. Uh, I might also add that uh, we can't think of the persecuted churches, them over there, as though they're somehow removed from us. 
because the Bible says, and I believe it's true, that we are all part of Christ's one body and that when one part suffers, we all suffer. And therefore, these are brothers and sisters. These are people who are part of a limb of the same body of which we're a part. I get the impression from time to time that when on this program we're talking about issues of persecution and there's the threat of persecution in Australia, uh, something we never talked about even a decade ago. We'd never even anticipate that this was even a possibility. But now with the Israel Folau issue, it seems to be something that people recognize that they're a part of that story. But when we talk the big picture, we're talking about persecution as it happens in an overseas context. And now we're even threatened with the possibility in Australia, Barnabas Fund, uh, all around the world, working in all sorts of different contexts, Ashley, uh, the sorts of things you're dealing with around the world. I wonder if you can let us in on just how significant things are. Is it it's an increasing thing in, in other countries? Uh, yes, it is. And I guess the common thread is some kind of nationalism, sometimes associated with uh, religious nationalism and sometimes um, some other kind of ideological nationalism. And so you, you find, for example, in India that there is a form of Hindu nationalism. You, know, you find in China that there's an authoritarian uh, nationalism and, and on it goes into other places as well. And one of the things about uh, Christian persecution uh, and I might digress to say that when I was in another state in the last few weeks, someone said, I've never heard of this. Why is it that Christians are persecuted? And uh, we need to recognize that there's a political dimension as well as a spiritual one. At a spiritual level, we speak truth and we stand for truth. And uh, the world does not accept the truth of Jesus Christ unless the Holy Spirit opens their eyes. At a political level, there's a sense in which Christianity has always been a bit subversive because we have never owed our ultimate allegiance to the state. Uh, we've always owed our ultimate allegiance to God. And so at a both political level and a spiritual level, Christians are set up in a sense for opposition and worse. Uh, let's just pause and reflect here for a few moments because uh, I know that for some people, and I remember, like it's a long time ago now, but I remember when I was con confronted with that idea that uh, if I'm a follower of Christ and I'm a part of the kingdom of God, that really means that I have a king. And uh, I remember being confronted with this many, many years ago, this idea that oh, I'm an Australian. Of course, this my first uh, loyalties ought to be to my flag, uh, to my nation. And this idea that there is a confronting uh, reality for the Christian believer that says, God is my first priority. He is the one in whom I will give my loyalty. Uh, what are your thoughts for, for that sort of confrontation that happens within for a lot of people and wondering about their Christian faith and uh, what value it has for us today? I guess for people living in Australia for many years, it's not been an issue. It's not been something that we've, we've thought too much about because we haven't sensed that there was any conflict between the one and the other. And yet as our culture moves so quickly and so far, we're starting to realise that there is the potential for the conflict and in some cases the reality. And yet this idea that uh, our ultimate allegiance is owed to God uh, is not a new concept. Uh, go back to Daniel, for example, in Babylon. Go back to Daniel uh, after he was serving in, uh, in the Persians. 
and uh, and where he was thrown into the lion's den. And when he, when Darius says, uh, uh, has the God whom you serve so loyally been able to keep you from the lion's den? Daniel says, long live the king. And then he says, I have been found innocent in God's sight, and I've not wronged you, your majesty. So he gets his priorities correct. He says, I've been found innocent in God's sight. That's the most important thing. But at the same time, I've not wronged you. Uh, I think it's easy for some denominations to appreciate that than others. And uh, we won't labour too long on this point, although listeners might want to uh, to talk about it. Uh, but I'm interested in your thoughts, Ashley, because uh, sometimes when you have, and I'm thinking people in the Catholic Church, uh, where where we talk about uh, you know our allegiance to God, uh, but in the Catholic Church, often people will have an allegiance to the Pope or to the Catholic Church, almost as a uh, you know under God, uh, and and the, and of course the Catholic Church is a little bit, bit like its own nation, uh, its own nation for people wherever they are around the world. Uh, this gets a little bit murky and a little bit uh, you know not all cut and dried. But your thoughts on where we have our loyalties to our nation, and we might have our loyalties to God, but for some of us. We're going to be thinking we've got all these other loyalties in the middle of that, and that sometimes is around our Christian denomination. We will always, I guess, need to get our priorities correct about our um, about who we owe allegiance to most. And um, I guess for some people who see um, the church as the means of grace, uh, the church as the connection to God, then then they will put. Um, uh, the, the connection to and the loyalty to the church up there with their loyalty to God and still higher than their loyalty to the nation. Uh, there are other people, of course, who will say, well, you know, my, my church is not the means of grace. My, my church is not necessarily akin to the way I commune with God. I commune with God in a different way and therefore we'll see it differently. But what is most important, I think, from a Christian perspective is that we will always owe our ultimate allegiance to God God the Father and his Son Jesus Christ, and we'll do this in the power of the Holy Spirit, and these things are more important than the allegiance we owe to our nation, whichever nation that might be. And, of course, this is a good thing, not a bad thing, because that's what enables a group of people who share the same values to be able to hold a government to account if we have our allegiances in the right place, we recognize what laws are just and what ones are unjust, uh, and this is what's held us in such good stead all these years. Yes, it is, and let me use another Old Testament example. When Nathan the prophet confronted David the king after he'd committed adultery with Bathsheba, uh, he didn't owe his allegiance to the king. He didn't owe his role as prophet um, to the king's patronage. He didn't owe David anything because if he owed David uh, his role, he might have been a bit reluctant to go and confront the king. But because his allegiance was to God and not um, through the king, he was able to go and he was able to say to the, to the king, David, you are that man. You're the one who's committed the wrong and I'm pronouncing a judgment on you. And so that's a great example of how um, that system works, that, that separation works. Uh, in my experience today, in places where there is no separation between church and state, it's not the state, rather it's not the church that sanctifies the state, but the state corrupts the church and the voice of the church, and therefore that separation is important so that the church can have that loud, vocal um, 
voice of prophecy to the state. And I wonder whether what's happening with Israel Folau right now, uh, where we've got someone who is not willing to bend at all on his Christian faith, uh, who says, I'm compelled to share these truths, this gospel, uh, into the context that I'm in. I'm not going to be bound by whether it's uh, Rugby Australia or anyone. In fact, this is what God says. This is a really powerful concept, actually, as we get into this, Ashley, because when we talk about loyalties here, it's that loyalty that's going to give us the courage to be able to stand when we are tested. Yes, it is. And so the time comes for different people at different times to say, what do I have to take a stand on? Is it important to take this stand? Is this something for which I'm prepared to suffer? Do I need to say this? Is it appropriate uh, to proclaim this? And uh, we always ought to be free to um, speak from the good news of Jesus Christ. And for, for any of your listeners who might not uh, agree with this or who are open to the idea, uh, I want to say today that 1 Corinthians 6, from which uh, Israel Folau paraphrased, 1 Corinthians 6 is good news. It's good news because it says all of us uh, are on that list of people who have no place in the kingdom of God. And when you look at the, the categories, uh, it really covers every single one of us. And uh, and Paul then goes on to say, but but don't be like that because you can be saved through Jesus Christ. It is good news. It takes a big family to keep vision on the air across Australia. Individuals, churches and businesses. One of them can fix your broken electrical machinery. Holman Electrical Services, Bunbury WA. Find them on Facebook. Helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Our talk back open, 1-800-316-316. You can leave a note on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash vision radio. Ashley Saunders, our guest this hour, he's the CEO of Barnabas Fund in Australia, talking issues of religious freedom. We're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's take a call from Robin. Hi, Robin. Welcome along. Hello. Hi, Neil and uh, Ashley. Um, very good points you're making there, and um, there are there are so many prophetic parallels um, that are you know um, that um, describe in the Bible that describe what's going on today, and um, they're all an attack on um, God's given boundaries, you know. And Lance, Dr. Lance Wallnow, he gives some excellent teaching on this, and he he brings out well a lot of steps from Daniel, all of the prophets, and Jeremiah, and whatever up to. You know that the children of Israel were taken, were kept captive in Babylon, as you said, and uh, but then that Cyrus allowed them to come back to to Israel, but then Nehemiah's job or to 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 start the temple first, and that's really restoring our um, God in our in our lives. But then after that, Nehemiah was um, uh, given the task of rebuilding the walls because that's what. Um, uh, we're talking about today it's re- rebuilding the walls for, for these boundaries because God has a reason for those boundaries now you know when he was building the wall they had to the people had to have a weapon in one hand and building tools in the other so not only were they building they had to ward off because the people of the nations around were doing everything they possibly could to stop to stop the project because they're not of God and um, and this is what we're facing today. Those boundaries of um, nation states, of sexuality and that sort of thing. And by the way, on that sexuality thing, and the story this morning was excellent, absolutely excellent 
on the situation of homosexuality there mm. and why it is not good for the people, for the person people themselves. It's, Robin, it's you're an making imbalance. some good points there and uh, there are a lot of dimensions. It's not a simple uh, process. It's a complex issue around these issues of religious freedom. Uh, your thoughts, Ashley, for Robin. Yes, thanks for calling, Robin. As I reflect on your message about the prophets or your work words about the prophets, uh, I was taken again back to Daniel in the sense that uh, several years ago, I had the privilege of visiting uh, the Islamic Republic of Iran, and in the southwest of that country, uh, in the city of Shush, the Old Testament city of Susa, uh, is Daniel's tomb. And um, and you can go in there, and if you were to go to that place today, you would find Iranian Muslims taking off their shoes and bowing, giving thanks to their God for the life of Daniel. Now, what a legacy that is. Two and a half thousand years after his faithful service, there's a, there's a recognition of his role. Now, you, you and I may not have some kind of building built as a memorial, and maybe we wouldn't want to, but we each one need to consider what would be the legacy of my faithfulness, what would be the legacy in terms of my local community, my church community, my family, uh, what, what's the legacy that I can leave behind? And even if there are young listeners uh, listening in today, it is never too early to start thinking about the legacy we want to use, leave. rather. Okay, Robin, thank you so much for your call. 1-800-316-316 if you'd like to join our conversation. Uh, also leave a note or a comment on Facebook as Con has done. Con says it could mean that pastors may have sermons evaluated, street preachers banned, Christians banned for expressing or quoting Bible verses on social media, Christians applying for jobs may need to describe their religious affiliation. Cake makers will need to go against their conscience or closed shop. It might mean other organizations that hire Christians will now be open to anyone with no religious background, etc., etc. We will be living like a communist country where religious freedom will be stripped away and persecuted. Uh, what are your thoughts for Con? Uh, some of those uh, issues, uh, he's talking about things that are happening around the world right now. And he's talking about things that many people in Australia fear might be the outcome if we're not vigilant now. And so what we find in other countries is that in countries where there is persecution, it wasn't always thus. Sometimes there has been uh, relative freedom. Sometimes there has been the rule of law. But somehow or other, both those things, the rule of law and uh, a, a culture of freedom, has deteriorated. Now, interestingly... Uh, I don't want to sound all political or legal, but uh, back in November of 2017, the uh, parliamentary committee that was reporting on the legal framework for religious freedom in Australia, the chairs forward to that uh, report, interim report in November 17, said that whilst religious freedom is one of the pillars of our liberty here in Australia, that the legal or rather legislative framework to ensure that that culture of freedom continues is vulnerable. And so the the politicians who investigate these matters recognise that the freedoms we've taken for granted in Australia are vulnerable and we need to be vigilant uh, lest we go further down that slope. And we need to recognise that part of that is because the values of the world um, – that we're seeing more and more reflected in everyday culture in Australia are not the values of God, not the values of Jesus Christ. And so there's a sense in which 
Um, that's why people are starting to fear that once upon a time it was thought that the values of society were very closely aligned to the values of God, and now we're seeing that they're vastly different. And when we have been observing the changing trends around the world, Ashley, uh, where Christianity in places uh, like people refer to sub-Saharan Africa, where there's huge revival, where there are tens or hundreds of millions of Christian believers now, and there's been all sorts of background there, but as believers come to Christ and their values begin to change, and then they come into conflict with the values in the surrounding culture that they're a part of, then you've got this conflict that leads to persecution. If we're reflecting on some of the hot spots around the world, what are your thoughts? Because I know Africa is one of those, but uh, what are the hot spots for Barnabas Fund and that you're looking at with this issue of persecution? Well, over the last 12 to 18 months, we've done work or funded work in about 65 countries. And that's ranged from church buildings and sustainability to victims of violence, convert care and so on. And what we're finding is that certainly in Central and West Africa, there are significant issues, um, not just in uh, northern Nigeria, but across into Cameroon, for example, in Burkina Faso. We're finding that there is a new wave of persecution where Christians are told you've got to convert to Islam, you've got to leave the area or you're going to be killed. There are entire towns where uh, all the Christians have fled. And so especially uh, in northern Cameroon, we're finding that people are, are fleeing some hundred plus kilometers south and they're, uh, because they've left their towns because the uh, Islamists in that area want to establish a caliphate. And we're finding this is uh, a real hot spot. But even in a place like Uganda, uh, where there are 80% Christian and only 12% Muslims, we're uh, hearing reports that even in a country with 80% Christians, that when a person converts from Islam to Christianity, they are persecuted. And uh, and so I'd encourage your listeners to pray for the church in Uganda, um, which is growing despite that persecution. There are, there are people coming to Christ out of Islam despite that persecution. And, of course, uh, there's stories that come out of places, and you mentioned Burkina Faso and a spate of murderous attacks by Islamist militants. Uh, these are the sorts of things that are happening in some of these nations around the world. We hope those things don't ever come to Australia, but we don't want them to be there in those nations either. But uh, there are significant issues like that that are no doubt dominating the headlines in those uh, small African countries. Uh, yes, they are dominating the headlines. And one could ask the question why they're not dominating the headlines in countries like Australia. If Australia really is interested in upholding freedom, if Australia really is interested in reporting um, widely the real position in a whole range of countries, why are we not hearing about it in Australia? Um, that's a question that I think we need to ask of the mainstream media. Uh, Ashley, we'll take some calls shortly, but when we talk about freedom in Australia, there are examples that are emerging frequently on this issue, and you've just spent some time in Western Australia. They've had an issue in Western Australia with town planning laws, and this is an interesting way that you might uh, uh, th talk about persecution because some people will say, oh, it's just the council making some deliberations about where they allow churches to be built. Well, we're seeing things a little bit differently here. What's the story in Western Australia that you've been across? Well, I was very concerned when uh, I was over there a few weeks ago and I heard from a practicing solicitor who works in the town planning area 
that there are at least two councils in the Greater Perth area that have now in their town planning scheme have regarded places of worship as a prohibited use. So in town planning terms, you have permitted uses, you have discretionary uses, and you have prohibited uses. And uh, and he expressed concern, and when I heard it, I expressed concern that places of worship uh, can now be regarded in those council areas as prohibited. Now, uh, we won the right... Um, I guess back in Britain, we inherited the common law of Britain and the, the freedom to construct and build places of worship is something that was established back in Britain you know, a few hundred years ago. And for a country like Australia to be turning its back on that tradition uh, is, for me, very concerning. And I think it will be concerning to many of your listeners as well. It might be the case that this is happening much more widely than just in Western Australia. And uh, I've noticed over the years where there's been a tightening of council regulations about where churches can meet. And they'll use all sorts of other reasons. They wouldn't call it religious persecution, but this idea of pushing places of worship into commercial areas. Say, you know, you've got to, if you're going to open a new church, it's got to be somewhere tucked in the back of a commercial uh, industrial estate, almost so it's way out of the way, not right in the heart of the community. Is that something that perhaps is just a, you know, it's like a creeping uh, regulation around churches that might even be uh, where, where we're seeing this happening in WA. That, that might be a more fully-fledged form of it, but we might be seeing this in lots of communities. I think you're right in the sense that there is not a recognition, in my view, in many local government offices that churches, that church communities are central to a community or that they play an important part. And therefore, uh, the way I heard what you said was that they're being put back onto the edges. Mm. And uh, I think that reflects the thinking of uh, local councils. I think it reflects increasingly the worldview of many Christians. But um, uh, what I find really um, concerning is, one, they're being pushed to the edges, but secondly, if they're not even permitted then that says something about uh, where we have come to as Australia. Taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Let's hear from Shelby. Hello, Shelby in Queensland. Hey, good morning, Neil, Ashley. Um, mate, I, um, I, I'm here on the uh, freedom of Christian uh, religious uh, freedom. But yep. um, I, I just have to chuckle to myself um, because um, Mr. Falau, his first Christian name is Israel. And wouldn't you think that uh, our good Father above uh, has his big hand in all of this, his big hand in all of this? Um, but, you know, I, I'm just amazed that um, um, th- these people um, don't realise that they're crueling their own uh, freedom of speech. And um, I was just amazed, too, that that 2.2 million I funded, I put money into that, um, was raised so quickly uh, and a lot of people that I'm aware of, even people I spoke to, weren't necessarily Christian of Christian belief. They were workmates that actually put in money as well. Well, good thoughts there, uh, Shelby. And this is a really powerful point to make, that while we talk about Christian persecution, uh, there are others who might see themselves outside of the Christian church who recognise that freedoms under threat are threats to their own freedoms as well, but Christians are the ones perhaps bearing the brunt of that. What are your thoughts for Shelby, uh, Ashley? Uh, I can only concur that uh, one of the things that's been happening in recent weeks is that 
although Christian leaders have been speaking up about freedoms, the the voices that have actually got the most air on the secular media are the non-Christian voices who are also speaking up for freedom, saying, yeah, I'm not a Christian. Uh, some of them are even saying, I don't even agree with what the Bible says about that issue, but uh, I want to stand for that person's right to have that stance. And we're finding that, um, th- I guess that produces in me, Shelby, the, the chuckle inside uh, that says that um, there are non-Christians who actually have a louder voice on this than many Christians. Query whether that indicates the extent to which Christianity has been pushed to the margins so that if a non-Christian voice says something, even if it's about freedom of religion, that voice seems to have more credibility than the Christian voice. And uh, I think you might be making reference to a number of secular commentators who are in fact, on that uh, conservative side of commentary, who are speaking up, and they are the ones who are cutting through much more than the actual church leaders. Church leaders seem to be sort of tarred with the same brush of being, you know, somehow or other they don't know the whole story. There's this sort of idea that uh, that somehow or other if you're a Christian and you're talking about uh, freedoms for Christians, that somehow or other you're in ignorance and you've got no idea what the other side is saying. But, of course, that's not the case. No, it's not the case. And, uh, and and I really am pleased that there are some secular commentators who are coming out and basically defending uh, our right to have a theological position. And uh, one of the difficulties, I guess, is that um, the human rights charters that Australia is a signatory to, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights and the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, where it concerns the human right to freedom of thought, conscience and religion – um, it says that, um, that that includes the right to manifest your beliefs in public. And yet, increasingly, we're finding that um, the prevailing worldview is you can believe what you like uh, in your homes, you can believe what you like in the four walls of your church building, but don't expect to go out in public and live that out. And yet, it is, a, it is part of our human right to do so. And there's an issue, isn't there, that illustrates this that comes out of the UK where there's a magistrate. Now, here's someone who is high standing in the community, uh, who's been taken down, uh, he's been removed from the bench, uh, the case of Magistrate Richard Page. This illustrates what you're saying. Uh, Yes, it does. So uh, for the benefit of your listeners, uh, a few years ago, Richard Page was uh, in chambers with a couple of other magistrates and he expressed... Uh, his view that a child does better with a mother and a father than with a same-sex couple. Uh, He was reported uh, for having said that, and uh, he was removed as a magistrate, and the Christian Legal Centre in Britain took on his appeal, and the appeal came out uh, only a week or two ago, and uh, as I read the relevant part of the judgment, the court uh, said um, in, in upholding the fact that he was sacked properly, the court said, Um, The judge says, you were not dismissed because of your religious view. You were dismissed because you expressed it. Now, what's the point of having a religious view that you can't express or live out? And so um, we should pray for Richard Page and pray for his further appeal. And given that that's happened in the UK, if we were translating that into how the courts might look at the Israel Folau case, uh, they could rule something along those lines as well. And uh, they might say, well, of course, Israel Folau is allowed to believe whatever he wants, but as long as he doesn't express it in public. And that's one of the 
ways that almost a totalitarian state takes a hold by telling people what they can and cannot say. Yes, it's really amazing because if you look at the reverse situation, back in Britain, there used to be a whole lot of test acts. That w- that's what they were called. And so you had to pass a religious test if you wanted to uh, be a lecturer in university or you wanted to be a member of parliament and so on. And over the 18th and 19th centuries, these test acts were abolished to increase the the breadth of people who could have these roles until in the late 19th century, the very last test act was abolished, the result of which was that even an atheist could then be elected as a member of parliament. And so these freedoms have been won for everybody, and yet now we're finding that unless you agree with the prevailing wisdom of the world view, then our freedoms are being shrunk and uh, and being limited. And so I'm regularly asked, uh, is there persecution in Australia? Now, there are some people who say to me, definitely yes. There are some who say definitely no, others not sure. What I can say is this, and let me ask this question. If what we're experiencing is what we were imposing on those who were atheists uh, or those who were secular humanists, those who oppose religious freedom, if we were, if the boot was on the other foot, would they say that they were being persecuted? And uh, that's worth reflecting on. The big issue here when we talk about Israel Folau is that Israel Folau is going to be standing in court and someone will be deliberating about whether he is uh, able to do what he has done. Uh, but it's not just about Israel Folau. This is about every individual. This is about every mum and dad. This brings it so close to home for all of us. The importance of this Israel Folau issue that's running parallel to what the Parliament's going to be deliberating, Ashley, uh, every, this is why every individual is uh, is going to be interested in this and why we all need to be vigilant on every level. Yes, that's right. And so going back to those United Nations covenants that Australia has signed, the first thing to note is that the human right to freedom of thought, conscience and religion is not an institutional right. It's a right of every individual. And so when the politicians say we can protect religious freedom by protecting the institution or the denomination or the clergy, well, what does that do for yours and my individual human rights? So firstly, they're individual human rights. Secondly, subject to only very limited circumstances, it includes the right to manifest your belief in public that we spoke about a minute ago. And thirdly, it includes the right of parents to raise their children in conformity with their belief. And there are many parents who have spoken to me very concerned about that one. Uh, this is an interesting one to pause and reflect on these issues here because parents raising their children uh, in that conformity with their beliefs. Well, when we send our children along to school, we hope that that's going to be a zone that isn't going to take the, the children away from uh, the beliefs in the home. But this is what we're seeing, and I guess this was where this controversy around the Safe Schools program came in because we all of a sudden recognised that our children were going to be taught things that were alternative to the sorts of values we might present as parents. And let me say first up that uh, I do not like that title and uh, and I would rather call it the Unsafe Schools Program because it is not about um, anti-bullying. It's actually about indoctrinating children into a particular worldview that attacks the core of uh, the Bible that says that God created us male and female. And so 
Uh, there are many parents who are very concerned about that kind of program, that kind of ideology going into schools. In some states, it's already compulsory. Uh, in uh, other states, uh, it is still, in a sense, behind the curriculum. And uh, parents are increasingly finding themselves alienated. Many people are then saying, well, maybe Christian schools are the answer. And yet, as many of your listeners know, the right of Christian schools to hire staff who agree with their values and who live them out, that's under question uh, at the moment as well. And while we all might appreciate that with the uh, election outcome uh, recently where the Morrison government was returned, a lot of people were saying, we dodged a bullet. Uh, But I wonder whether you've got a reflection here, uh, Ashley, that dodging a bullet may well be one way to talk about that in a big sense, but that doesn't mean that the battle is over, and that doesn't mean that the Morrison government will get right the issues on religious freedom. And uh, many of us who might be quite sceptical about uh, those who are even in the government, uh, whether they have actually got the wherewithal that it will take to actually uh, sufficiently allow for those uh, issues of religious freedom to be protected. What are your thoughts about uh, this is not a time to be just casual and uh, lay back into the uh, into the uh, the armchair and rest because this is a powerful and significant time that we need to be attentive to the details. This is not a time to be complacent. Uh, I believe that the Lord has uh, allowed us some breathing space in Australia for we who are part of his church to strengthen ourselves to be strengthened. Yes, I do pray that religious freedom will be protected and preserved in Australia. At the same time, we need to be vigilant and we need in a spiritual sense to be strengthened for whatever the future may hold. And uh, and so I encourage followers of Jesus to be part of that process, to be strengthened and to be strengthened in our resolve to follow the Lord Jesus courageously. Where it comes to the issue of either religious freedom legislation or religious discrimination legislation, we need also to make sure that we don't have the view that government is our saviour. Uh, Jesus Christ and him alone is our saviour. Uh, we, we look to government to do wise things, to do good things, and we need to make sure that when this bill comes out in whatever form it takes, we need to make sure that it is something that is actually positive and uh, not something that could be uh, used through unintended consequences to further uh, beat faith communities around the head with. There's a temptation, isn't there, and no doubt for some families uh, to say, well, if all of this stuff uh, kicks in, we'll just isolate ourselves. We'll be so concerned about keeping the integrity in our own family and our beliefs that we'll isolate ourselves so we won't send our children along to a state school and, as you say, even Christian schools at risk, we won't send our children to a Christian school either. We'll homeschool our children if we have to. But there's even a threat there. What are your thoughts about people who are saying, well, I'm going to try to isolate myself rather than go in to fight the battle and win the battle so that those freedoms are maintained? The first thing I would say is that I understand the the, 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 the principle. I understand the concern that I am so concerned for my children, I'm so concerned for my family, I'm so concerned for the influences that I want to do this. So, so first of all, um, I say to those in that position, I understand Uh, Secondly, I say that we need to make sure that we also engage 
Um, again, uh, I go back to Daniel. Uh, isn't it interesting in Daniel 6 that when uh, he was in a high position in the Persian Empire, uh, those who didn't like this Jew being in control of them, they looked for some fault to find in him, and they said, we cannot find any fault in him except uh, where it concerns the matters of his religion. Now, isn't that a great testimony? And I pray that that would be my testimony and yours and the, and the testimony of many listeners, that whether we, whether we engage with the, the local communities or whether there are people so concerned that they find themselves withdrawing, I would say uh, we need to ensure that we have a testimony uh, where people are not going to find any fault with us, not because we're playing pretends, but because uh, we are seriously following Jesus Christ. So I do understand parents who want to say that. At the same time, there is a biblical mandate to engage. Some might be thinking, I'm just a little isolated in my school community or in my sporting club or wherever it might be where they're thinking these things are beginning to, uh, you know, they have teeth, uh, beginning to get the, the talons even into uh, the back of the Christians. What do you advise people, Ashley, so far as just opening networks of communication, uh, parents talking to parents about how they're dealing with these issues in their school, say it's a state school, how they're dealing with these issues at their sporting club or whether it's a community organisation, even in their local church, about how they actually find a, a foundation for uh, how they'll actually respond when the rubber hits the road and some of these things come to the fore. When a real test comes, we never get a letter three days in advance saying next Wednesday there's going to be a test. Therefore, we have to be ready. And therefore, I would say to uh, any follower of Jesus listening to this, we if we don't have them already, we need to be uh, establishing those networks of support right now so that we have people with whom we can pray. We have people with whom we can discuss. Uh, only in the last week, uh, I've, I've heard about um, a, a Christian young lady who was putting something on, on Facebook um, about um, Christian values, uh, only to find that, that uh, she was just so devastated by some of the responses that came back. They weren't responses, they were reactions. Uh, I, I heard about a person who was involved in a dance group who uh, felt alienated uh, as a Christian while the others in the dance group were talking uh, about the issue of Israel Folau. Uh, these sorts of things are increasingly happening, and there I'm talking about teenagers. And so we need to be vigilant. As parents, we need to be opening those discussions with our children. Our children are not too young to be involved. We need to share with them in an age-appropriate way, but we need to be establishing those networks with other parents, and we need to be talking with our kids. But do we tell our kids, Ashley, stop doing that because you'll get a reaction? There'll be trolls who'll say nasty things. Or do we tell our children, take courage and stand for what is right and be prepared for what might come as an attack from someone who d disagrees with you? I would say we encourage our children to demonstrate discernment and uh, we need to be part of that as their parents or grandparents. Uh, demonstrate discernment about what is an appropriate way to, uh, to, to behave as a Christian. Uh, what is, uh, is it worth posting that on Facebook or is it not? Do you need to go there or don't you? Is that courageous or is it foolhardy? And even as I say that, I'm rem reminded from the old yes minister days that a courageous decision is not one you want to take yeah. uh, politically. Uh, I would say, yes, we do need to be courageous. We need to be courageous um, in, in a sensitive way. Uh, and so that, that might sound like a general 
uh, advice, but I but there are some battles that we just have to take, and we have to prepare our children. Even if they even if they say I won't be publicly a Christian on Facebook, um, that child still needs to be in a position who, as a follower of Jesus, when something is said face to face at school or at the sporting club, that needs to say, well, I'm one of those Christians that you're you're criticising. We're running out of time. In fact, I want to just touch briefly before we have to say goodbye uh, on your your role as CEO of Barnabas Fund. Uh, we've been talking a lot about Australia. I know that Barnabas Fund in Australia, you're looking for supporters who are going to support the efforts that are going on in overseas contexts as well as what is developing here in Australia. How do you hope, uh, you know, listeners, when they've heard you and uh, you've got an element uh, of trustworthiness, I know in the minds of our listeners, and when they hear you reflect on these things, they're hearing real substance. Uh, that support that you're looking for for Friends of Barnabas Fund, uh, how do you hope people will respond? Ashley. I, w- I would hope that people would first of all open their hearts to the reality of what is happening in the world. It's important to look in our own community and in our own nation. It's also important, I guess, to put that in a context of what's happening globally. And so we need to we need to recognise that what is happening in Australia, as concerning as it is, in many ways pales into insignificance. And yet um, I would hope that we in Australia would always have the freedom to be the people the Lord Jesus Christ would have us to be. And I would hope that we would always have the freedom here in Australia to alert our nation to the reality of what happens in other countries, that we would be able to speak with a voice that is credible uh, and uh, and to take our place in society. And as I often say, with regard to the persecuted church around the world, it's not easy to get the support to those who really need it. And when I talk about organisations like Open Doors or about Voice of the Martyrs, uh, even Operation Mobilisation, there in the list is Barnabas Fund. And uh, one of those few organisations that really have the capacity to be able to get aid and, as you heard Ashley say earlier, even the support that's required at a legal level when there are Christians under persecution. So my encouragement, uh, make connection with Ashley Saunders at BarnabasFund.org. That's BarnabasFund.org. And Ashley is the CEO of Barnabas Fund in Australia. Ashley, thanks so much for taking some time to share these things with us today on 2020. It's been good to be with you and good morning to your listeners. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.